Welcome to Booked, where two guys normally tell you about what they're reading, but this is a holiday um, episode, so there's three people, not four. Fuck, Rob, you want to explain what's happening? Right. <laughs> uh, first of all, happy holidays. Uh, welcome to the Booked. Um, is it holiday or Christmas? Are we getting... How are we, how are we well, addressing the fundamental people You know how, poli- people how politically correct I like to be. So it's the Christmas podcast. extravaganza, right? So it is the, I guess it's the Christmas extravaganza. I don't yeah. know what we're calling it. I, you would think we'd have this planned ahead of time, or we would look at last year, one of the two. So if anybody had been listening in our previous episodes, you would know for sure that the plan was to have two guests, our our regular holiday guest hosts jesse lawrence jesse thanks for coming on and uh and helping us with this uh, holiday extravaganza thank you guys Merry welcome back welcome back jesse it's been like six weeks i think it's been about that yeah that's right booked miss good callback or did is that a new thing i don't know anyway we usually do booked tober I, I it's all confusing if we should pay more attention to what we do on this podcast where's our intern isn't he supposed to take care of this stuff he's at a fucking star wars movie right now Maybe that's well. Maybe that explains some other things. <laughs> so go on, Rob. So, well, what happened? So you were saying uh, this is the plan. The plan was to have Jesse, as always, and also Amanda Gowan. Amanda Gowan is a longtime, well, was a longtime friend of the podcast. Not sure where we stand right now. We might be frenemies um, because she has not joined us for the evening. Um, we're not sure exactly why, so we're going to give her a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in case something not super fun happened. But she's probably standing in line to go see Star Wars. <clears throat> so, yeah. <laughs> here's what you're going to hear this episode. We're going to do um, a kind of light book review, right? I don't think this is going to be like a full blown out like review like we normally do of The Stupidest Angel by Christopher Moore, uh, a, a favorite of Rob and myself. And, and we just found out this is the first time Jesse has read Christopher Moore. We're not sure how that happens, Jesse. Can you explain yourself? Distractions, always lots of lots of distractions. Same reason I didn't read more before now, too. Like I talked about this earlier, and I was planning to read more, but then I got distracted by other books. Jesse gets a pass because he's always uh, uh, very good at getting me nice beers, so I, I'm <laughs> automatically giving him a pass. Um, Rob, I, I, you read you've read all of Christopher Moore, Moore's books, correct? That is correct. I've read every single novel that he's written and that um griff graphic novel that he came out oh, with oh that's that right too. see i didn't i didn't yeah. read that and and fluke which i just couldn't i tried really <laughs> and just couldn't do fluke so um yep. so we're gonna do a, a kind of light review on that then we're gonna do our gift exchange um which we did last year and it was a lot of fun um so we're gonna do that and then maybe we'll have a couple other topics to talk about um before we send you on your merry way to enjoy whatever holiday, Christmas, that you're um, that you're celebrating. Yeah, your your Christmas equivalent, right? Is that what we're? Because we don't want to. I know there's Hanukkah. There is Hanukkah, but that already started, didn't it? That started like a week ago or something. Hanukkah is yeah, probably so, wrapping up right around now, so. So it's a little late for Hanukkah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, pretty excited. We're not. We're probably going to be talking a lot less about mouths being sewn to asses this year than our than on our previous holiday episode. That's right. We, we will probably there. Oh, what is that? What was that noise? Oh, Siri wants to join in. 
Oh, well, at least then we'd have a fourth person. <laughs> so this is... I mean, Livius is going to be, like, in a cheery mood, but bitter. A very mm. bitter cheeriness tonight from Livius. I'm, uh... <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little, I'm a little not cheery. All right, you guys ready to get into the um, into the review? Let's do, yeah, it. let's do it. I understand that Livius, you have dis, you have chosen to deliver both the bio and the synopsis for this book. I have chosen to do exactly that. So Excellent. we are going to go ahead and start with the bio. Here it is from Amazon. Christopher Moore is the author of 11 previous novels, Practical Demon Keeping, Coyote Blue, Bloodsucking Fiends, Island of the Sequin Love Nun, The Lust Lizard of Melancholy Cove, Lamb, Fluke, The Stupidest Angel, A Dirty Job, You Suck, and Fool. He lives in San Francisco. Now this is going to be, is this the third, fourth book of his we're reviewing? So we reviewed... Um, Fool, and we reviewed um, Serpent of Venice, which is not listed as a book that he wrote, oddly enough. As I'm looking through this, hmm. so I don't, yeah. Sacred um, Blue. Yeah, so this will be the fourth one. Nope. Because no? we also did um, Secondhand Souls, so this will be the fifth Christopher Moore book. Oh, we like Christopher Moore almost as much as we like David James Keaton, apparently. Yeah, I mean, and you know what? Now they're neighbors. So there's a world that we live in where we could actually be in the same place with David James Keaton and Christopher Moore. Well, and S.G. Brown, right? And S.G. Brown, yep. Just at an event together. Yeah, uh, and Seth yeah, Harwood, because he lives out that Bay Area. That's where all of our writers are living now. All right, so there's that. Now, um, that was a, a fairly short bio. The, um, the uh, synopsis is not quite as short. Twas the night, okay, more like the week before Christmas, and all through the tiny community of Pine Cove, California, people are busy buying, wrapping, packing, and generally getting into holiday spirit. But not everyone is feeling the joy. Little Joshua Barker is in desperate need of a holiday miracle. No, he's not on his deathbed. No, his dog hasn't run away from home. But Josh is sure that he saw Santa take a shovel to the head, and now the seven-year-old has only one prayer. Please, Santa, come back from the dead. But hold on, there's an angel waiting in the wings. Wings, get it? It's none other than the archangel Raziel come to Earth seeking a small child with a wish that needs granting. Unfortunately, our angel's not sporting the brightest halo in the bunch, and before you can say Chris Kringle, he's botched his sacred mission and sent the residents of Pine Cove headlong into Christmas chaos, culminating in the most hilarious and horrifying holiday party the town has ever seen. Move over, Charles Dickens. It's Christopher Moore time. That really does it. I never read that synopsis before, but that's that's like really walking the line of, of giving stuff away. It is, and I don't know if we have to go fully spoiler-free. This book has been out for 11 years now. <laughs> so I know that all I've seen online is the um, the desire to not see Star Wars spoilers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if an 11-year-old book really falls into that category. Cool, so we're kind of like uncaged here? Yeah, I think so. Nice. Jesse the wolf is uncaged. Sweet. Cool. Mm. One thing I want to say is that this book is chock full. If, if anybody has read Christopher Moore books before, you'll know that he likes to take characters from some books and put them in others. So at the very back of the book, um, he kind of gives a, a, like a layout of what characters came from other books. I'm going to read it really quick. Some of the characters that appeared in The Stupidest Angel have also appeared in my previous novels. Raziel, The Stupidest Angel, appeared in Lamb. Uh, Theo Crow, Molly, 
Gabe and Valerie Riordan all appeared in The Lost Soldier of Melancholy Cove. Robert Masterson, Jenny Masterson. Oh, some of these characters appeared in Practical Demon Keeping and Lizard of Melancholy Cove. And then two of the other characters, Tucker and Roberto the Fruit Bat, appeared in Island of the Sequined Love Nun. So, if this is your first Chris Moore book, and um, Jesse mentioned because it was his first that it was kind of a, a little bit of a slower start for you, right? Yeah, it took me it took me um, I don't know a little over a hundred pages to get into it, but then once I got into it, I kind of just couldn't put it down. So it was a really quick read, actually. Yeah, I'm thinking that he's building on the idea that you recognize these characters, so their kind of quirks and stuff are already kind of understood. So I guess that's maybe the downside of a Christopher Moore book is is he's built up this story not just in the book you're reading, but you know throughout his basically his entire like catalog so um it's interesting to have to hear and i kind of (laughs) put the cart before the horse because jesse told us that before we got on the on the uh, episode um but it's interesting to hear someone who's whose first book is this book to knowing that there's characters coming from all over the place with his different books um that it was kind of a slower start yeah the, the thing is um the characters, although they're from different books, the majority, I think, of Christopher Moore's work, as I look at them, um, the characters are all equally quirky. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, there probably aren't a lot of writers that could draw in characters from, you know, six, five different books, whatever it is, and, and have it fit well. Um, the one thing that Christopher Moore is consistent with is his sense of humor and the quirkiness of his characters. So it, it's pretty seamless, I think, though, that nothing really stands out about any of these characters as not fitting into this particularly goofy story. Right. Yeah. Um, you want to talk a little bit about how the story goes? That would probably be a good idea. It kind of picks up in um, Pine Cove, which is... If my geography is kind of is right, it's sort of it's definitely on the ocean, somewhere between um, San Francisco and L.A. So a little south of San Francisco, closer to Monterey. I don't know if it's an actual place or not. I never bothered to look, but it's kind of a tourist town, and um, it's right before Christmas. So uh, right now, there's a lot of tourism around. You know, buying little knickknacks and and just having like a you know, a cute little Christmas, you know, vacation or whatever. So, um, tourism is picking up in the town, but they're also, um, the weather report has, um, uh, kind of warned that there's an El Nino, uh, that could cause some bad weather right around the, the, you know, Christmas time. So, um, there's a bunch of people in from out of town that makes the town busy, but there's also the threat of some really bad weather that could mess up their peaceful little California tourist town. Yep. So that's kind of the, the larger um, what's happening. Um, more specifically, um, you have a, a, a ex-wife slash ex-husband who get into a fight. Um, and again, we're kind of spoil a little bit of stuff here. But they get into a fight. The, the town constable gets involved. Later that night, um, there is another altercation between the two of them. And the woman, um, Lena, winds up um, accidentally um, killing her ex-husband. Which sounds pretty serious, right? Not something you'd hear in a comedy book. 
surprising how easily a head can get cut off with a shovel. Like, I don't think it was cut off, but, like, a neck can get sliced with a shovel in a comedy book. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's really the catalyst for um, for what you heard. Joshua, the, the, the child mentioned in the... Um, Synopsis happens to to witness this transaction as he's hurrying home late from his friend's house. And, of course, the ex-husband is dressed like Santa Claus because he's coming from a party. And lo and behold, Santa has been murdered. So as Raziel comes down, again, this is all from a synopsis, but comes down to, to provide a Christmas miracle, which is just you know, simple. Find one kid and make his wish come true. Um, of course, he stumbles across Joshua, who's kind of traumatized by Santa Claus being dead. So he asks for Santa to be brought back to life. Yeah. He has a cute little prayer um, <laughs> where he starts the prayer with uh, this is Josh Barker, 761, I'm sorry, 671 Worcester Street, Pine Cove, California, 93754. I saw Santa tonight, which was great, and thank you for that. But then, right after I saw him, he got killed with a shovel. Dot, dot, dot. So. <laughs> I just like that the prayer included his entire like mailing address. Oh, God knows where you're at. I think, right? Yeah, I mean, dude's all powerful, but he, he can't expect him to remember your full address, right? Jesse, do you want to maybe um, kind of cut in with a, a little bit about some of the characters? I mentioned like the constable and his crazy girlfriend, the warrior queen, whatever. Yeah, the um, <clears throat> I think the warrior queen is actually the best character in the whole book. The The thing that and maybe this is part of the reason that I think there might be two reasons that it took me a while to get into this book. And it's, it's not her. It's that one, it's a Christmas tale, which my idea of, of Christmas tales is probably more like diehard, you know? So I'm not already inclined to Christmassy type things. So even though I knew it was going to be a, a good fun book, I was kind of like, eh, not really my thing. And the other is that the the stupidest angel itself, like we don't really get a lot of the angel until probably halfway into the book. It's kind of more like this strange being that is it alien? Is it not alien? Like, is it superhuman? I mean, it's just someone being really weird and perverted before we finally get some substance on that character. Like he gets his own chapter, you know? So yeah, Molly is, um, she is the, kind of modeled after like maybe Xena the warrior princess type person so this is what she used to do um, and now she has settled down in Pine Cove and she is dating um, Theo who is the town constable so um, the the story between them is the uh, when they began dating which was at the end of Lust Lizard of Melancholy Cove Rob or is it I think you're right about that okay um, Theo gave up smoking pot and she agreed to take medication that was provided to her that keeps her from kind of lapsing into hearing this voice in her head um, that, you know, is also convincing her that she is the, the warrior queen and not just a chick that used to play her on TV or in movies. Um, so equally between the two of them, um, Theo, through the course of the book, has the opportunity to take up pot smoking again, but she has definitely gone off her meds in order to save money to buy Theo this fabulous um, gift, which, uh, because she's crazy, I guess makes sense. She, she um, 
although he's not supposed to smoke pot and hasn't for five years, she gets him a beautiful hand-blown glass bong. I thought it was really awesome how he bought her the sword, how they had these two like rules for each other, that one wasn't supposed to do the this certain behavior, and that was kind of an understanding of their relationship, that they were holding the, holding each other to these, you know, kind of high standards. But then in the back of their minds, they knew that that was wrong, so they went and were fully supporting the way the person really was and actually cared that much. Yeah, it's a really kooky, but, you know, really genuine um, loving relationship. But that's that's kind of the reveal for that. What you get most of the time is just the really weird, like, um, he's a dopey, kind of a clumsy, goofy, not super good police officer, pushover kind of guy, and she's really insane, but, like, has a sexy body, and she just does really goofy off-the-wall shit. That's kind of what you see most of the time. But, yeah, they do have this kind of genuine, there's a reason they're together, and it's... That's what I like about Christopher Moore. He can kind of he can kind of do it both ways. He can give you the goofy stuff, but, like, he ties it together with, with like, the real serious stuff in a way that it's not... That it just works. It works well, so... Um, yeah. Well, it's even more funny that like it was such a big deal to her, like that they gave these gave the each other these two ultimatums, but no one else really seemed to care because they're the little kids like talking about how he's seeing them hitting his bong, and really no one in the town really gives a shit that the constable smokes pot, and they probably already know, but you know Molly's all like, oh, you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I have a quote that um, I, I think. Uh, pretty well describes the, what the relationship that we've been um, trying to, to get over to you guys. It's um, it, so Molly and, and Theo are, are, are fighting, you know, and, and they're not speaking and like, you know, he's out all the time because they're, they're having this fight. So she is kind of um, confiding in her friend, Lena. And uh, I don't know. I remember Molly says something along the lines of, Oh, maybe, maybe, um, you know, this is the end or something like that. So this is Lena talking to Molly. Don't be silly, Mal. You couldn't do that. Theo understands. So that's her statement. And afterwards it says, meaning he knows you're crazy and loves you anyway. So there's a few times where it's noted that he understands that she's nuts, but he really doesn't care that she's crazy. Yeah. Um, I guess the other couple of the group is going to be Lena meets up with Tucker Case. Tucker, we know from Island of the Sequin Love Nun, is basically this, like, womanizing, like, pilot. Um, who's kind of very involved with himself and full of himself. And uh, he... You find out in this book that... Uh, so at the end of that book, he had married this woman. And um, they were living off of some money he stole from some bad guys. That kind of thing. Um, but in this book, they're now divorced and... So I ruined that for anybody who hasn't read that book yet. Um, they're now divorced, and uh, he's he's kind of trying to. <laughs> it's almost as if this is how he. This is uh, the point where he's trying to turn his life around and be a good guy. And um, right when he basically meets Lena, as she's um, trying, she just killed, accidentally killed her ex-husband with a shovel, and. Um, so their meeting basically is over a dead body and he's so casual and calm about it and just kind of likes her and offers to help her. And she's so freaked out that she just kind of goes along with it. But then this romance starts to blossom and 
she's freaked out that he's so calm about everything and he's just kind of super horny but also legitimately into her so it's an interesting kind of back and forth between those two as well kind of got a little bit of a tom robbins vibe off of him actually oh yeah oh yeah uh, yeah so you're familiar with his work then like he was very much like a bunch of his characters and i was especially thinking of switters from fierce invalids home from hot climates and also in the bernard and still life with woodpecker just really struck me as uh robbins kind of character I'll go along with that. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Man, I got to reread Still Life with Woodpecker. It's been like probably 15 years. That was a good book. Is that the guy that married Susan Sarandon? It's Tim Robbins. (laughs) (laughs) They divorced. They were in um, Bull Durham together. Great movie. You know, I've never seen Bull Durham. That's a baseball thing, right? Yeah, it's a baseball thing. That's probably why I never saw it. Although I did see Eight Men Out, and I really liked that movie. Wait, was Eight Men Out about there's one guy who used to be really good and he's washed up? <laughs> no, it's about one guy who's <laughs> who's really good and then like gets the sack because of his teammates um, doing illegal things. Oh, so now he so it, he becomes that's a flip. He becomes washed up. Wow, most baseball game baseball movies are. We're revisiting the guy that used to be good, but something happened, and now he sucks. But he's actually still really good. It's just all in his head. <laughs> right? No, it's it's a, it's kind of about shoeless Joe Jackson, which I'm not a sports fan, but I know that the whole it's it's about the the white sock or the black sock scandal, or they call them the black socks because the team members were, I think it was they were in the World Series and they were throwing games on purpose for gambling reasons and other shit like that and then when they got cut out pretty much the entire team whether they were involved in the scheme or not got punished and shoeless joe jackson was pretty much credited as being probably one of the greatest baseball players ever i was pretty sure that amanda not being here meant that we were going to stay just a little bit on track <laughs> I well, I never expected us to talk about baseball seriously on this podcast, so that's, that's I, uh, surprising. Or any sports. But I have to say that you telling that story was made even better by the sound of your rats in the background. <laughs> oh, you know what they are. <laughs> I recognize the rat noise now. A little or as as they're referred to in this book, little white squirrels. Yes. Little, little white, squirrels. white squirrels. So plot wise, I think we have to really spoil the 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 ending of this book. I'm oh, so please, hesitant to do that because it's such a good reveal, but people have right. had over a decade to read it, so it's been and eleven years. And I don't think here's the thing with with a Christopher Moore book. I don't. I say this very hesitantly because I love his work, but I don't think I've ever read any of it for the story. You read it for the characters. So pretty much I wouldn't even be mad if someone spoiled a Christopher Moore book for me, and I'd read it anyway because my real enjoyment is the interaction between the characters and the wit and the dialogue. So, you know, I could still recommend this to somebody even if I tell them every plot point, including the, the you know, whatever, the big twist at the end, so to speak. All right, so um, let's do this. If you want to read this and not have – because I want to say there's a reveal. So it's about – the paper book is about 280 pages and and at about page 175 there's a a turn in the plot 
that I never saw coming. It was set up, and you should have seen it, but you just never see it coming. And it's such, it's such a good change that I was like, the first time I read it, I was like, I think I immediately texted Livius, and I was like, oh my god, I just got to this part in the book. Um, so if you if you want to read this spoiler free, probably skip around to a later part in the in the episode so that you, we don't spoil this for you. But we can we can we can talk about him. I gotta ask, do you guys think that? Well, I mean, no, that's that's just good writing that we didn't see it coming. But do you think part of not seeing it coming is that he was playing around with a pop culture trope, like maybe dead people talking? We've seen that in movies so many times where we just kind of accept it as something else, you know. And you see it in a lot of comedies, I guess, and probably holiday and family films. So that's why you don't even think that way. Well, I. The difficult part, I think, for us is um, we're familiar with Christopher Moore, and dead people talking doesn't really mean anything. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, his, yeah, his style is so anything goes that, like, if God had sh- shown up, at, you know, at some point in the book and just was hanging out talking to someone, it would not be a surprise. So, I so think, it's a st- author. It's like a specific author thing, then. Yeah, I think it's stylistically. Um, his writing style just lends to anything is a possibility. Like literally anything could happen in one of his books so for me that's why I didn't look for it but um, we're talking a lot about it without saying what happened need a cheese need a cheese <laughs> so Raziel <laughs> goes to where the okay so he goes to where the body is buried where the child says he saw Santa was killed and basically just gives a command for the dead to rise. And what Raziel doesn't understand is he's standing in a graveyard when he does it. He just goes to the the forest. The body's in the forest. So he just goes there. Yeah, it's right by a church, though. That's the graveyard. Yeah, so basically all of the people buried there take up the command given by an archangel. Archangel. (laughs) Archangel? Archangel, right? It would be archangel. Archangel. To rise. And, of course... Because it's Christmas, yep, feast. Yes, yeah, rise and feast. So um, they come back to life, or they they come back as zombies, and um, they, they, this happens um, right as there is a party going on the the lonesome Christmas party that the town has <laughs> that's taking place at the church where the dead people are no longer dead. I love that all the dead people knew the gossip of the town. Yeah, so that was one of my favorite parts. So um, then it comes; it kind of turns to kind of a classic setup for for a horror movie where everybody's inside, all the zombies are outside, and then there's that fucking brilliant move where this total nerd at the lonely Christmas party is wearing a Star Trek shirt, and it's a red Star Trek shirt, and those are the guys that die first, right? <laughs> yeah, um, and I and, and again. Like so now you know the zombies are here. So you see and, and now it's like things are kicking in, so and then you see a guy's wearing the red Star Trek shirt and he's gotta go outside to get something. And you're like, he's gonna die because he's gonna die, but also because he's wearing the red Star Trek shirt. So that's kind of where things kick off where he goes outside and um well there's kind of a funny part first where like the sheriff goes outside to look for something and the dog is like attacking one of the undead, but he's too like oblivious to notice it 
Um, but then this guy goes outside and get killed, and that's where it starts to happen. Where like now the dead know that there's a bunch of living people inside, and they want to eat their brains, and um, they want to get in. And so this is where kind of the final. It's kind of a big climactic scene. It takes like, I mean, not one scene, but it takes a good fifty to sixty pages, right? It's at least a third of the book, or, or quarter at least, right? Which is pretty much the dead siege of of the church and at you know once the people inside realize oh shit everybody has risen from the dead and is trying to eat us they block off the doors and everything and when the zombies can't get in like Jesse said they start because they've been they've been buried by the church so just by virtue of the fact that they've been in this common area for so many years they hear what the living people are saying so um, when they can't get in they just start shouting out gossip <laughs> to the people that are alive inside and it's so funny <laughs> yeah I, I war is just so fucking witty and so funny and the vast majority of it not profane and and you know pretty safe for work that kind of stuff and it i don't know i'm a pretty jaded person and i i'm not a big fan of your standard comedies but this guy just makes me chuckle every goddamn time and most of it happens, um, I think, you know, with, with the dead people and, and then a lot of it with with Molly and in her warrior queen mindset. Um, some of the best stuff in this book um, exists right there. Can I do can I do a quote from the zombies before Rob does it? Can I, can I do that? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, Steal my quote. It. All right. So this one is um, one of my favorite lines in the book. Um, so the, the dead are are coming back and they're kind of climbing out of the ground. They're all talking about eating and stuff. But then, you know, one of them mentions that maybe afterwards they can go to Ikea and then they all kind of come to an agreement that, yeah, first they're going to eat brains and then they're going to go to Ikea. No one knows why, but second only to eating the brains of the living, the dead love affordable prefab furniture. I love it. (laughs) Absolutely. I actually didn't have that quote, but I have the part leading up to it where uh, one of the dead says, (laughs) <laughs> Suddenly we're all gluttons, are we? Well, I have always enjoyed Danish modern furniture for its functional functional yet elegant design, so once we have consumed the brains of these revelers, I feel compelled to seek out one of the furniture boutiques I have heard so much about from newlyweds in the chapel. First we feast, then Ikea. And then the dead start chanting, first we feast, then Ikea. <laughs> Again, something that happens in more books is if you remember it. What were they called? What were the little creatures called in um uh the squirrel people? Yes. With all the chanting they do. <laughs> Anytime more has anybody chanting anything, it's uh, fucking just great. Um a quick quote from I know we're not in quotes, but um quick quote from when they first when the dead first kind of try and break into the church. So the, the Santa Claus that got killed in the beginning of the book, who is pretty much the liveliest of the dead because he's only been dead like a night, um, is kind of the ringleader. And um, he <laughs> opens up the door and uh, grabs one of the people inside. And he's got a gun, and he holds the gun to the guy's head and just sh- blows his brains out um, and <laughs> throws him back to the crowd of zombies who start eating his brains. And he, and he yells out, Merry Christmas, you doomed sons of bitches. It's good stuff. Very good stuff. So really, I mean, I think that that covers characters. I know you said you were, we weren't in quotes, but I, I feel pretty confident that we can go there based on having covered yeah. plot and all the major characters, correct? Yeah. 
All right, so um, let's see. Quotes wise, this is a kind of longer one, and I'm going to read this because I think that this is a one of the best things that happens with Molly. So Molly is completely out of her mind, and she realizes it. And for some reason, she thinks that in lieu of taking her meds, she can go ahead and break out a twelve-step book and follow the twelve steps of a, of a, an addict. Which doesn't make any sense if you think about it, right? Because she needs medication because she's sick. But she's trying to go through the 12 steps. So she's already admitted that she has a problem. Step two, she read, come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. She thought for a moment and looked out the front window of the cabin for the lights from Theo's car. She really hoped she could get through all 12 steps before he got home, which is hilarious. Nigga, the worm god, shall be my higher power, she declared, snatching her broken broadsword from the coffee table and waving it in defiance at the Sony Wega TV that mocked her darkly from the corner. In Nygoth's name, I shall sally forth and woe unto any mutant or sand pirate that crosses my path, for his life shall be sacrificed and his bloody balls shall decorate the totem tree of my lodge. She's a little bit bonkers. She's a little bit bonkers, but that's just great. She's 12-stepping and believing in a fire herself and ready to kill <laughs> all the sand pirates. And that she can do it all in a day, all 12 steps. Yeah. Before Theo gets home. <laughs> so <laughs> Which the whole thing is kind of logic is a little flawed. So I thought she, I think she made it to like step five or something, but by, so she didn't get all the way through the steps by the time he got home. Um, that was one of my favorite parts was the whole <clears throat> we're attracted to lunatics thing. The angel, yeah, and explaining how because the lunatics will believe everything, but no real people will believe them, so it's kind of safe to go with the lunatics. That was good stuff. All right, I've got kind of a longer quote. So Lena and Tuck are talking, and this is after he helped her, you know, bury the body and and kind of cover up the crime. Um, and they're going out to dinner. <laughs> They've gone out to dinner afterwards, or the next day or something. Um, <laughs> Lena leaned close to Tuck and searched his eyes to see if he might be joking. So he was. Th- this is kind of mid-conversation. Tuck batted his eyelashes, trying to look innocent. Who are you? Lena finally asked. I told you. But what's wrong with you? You shouldn't be so so calm while I'm a nervous wreck. Have you done this kind of thing before? Sure. Are you kidding? I'm a pilot. I've eaten in restaurants all over the world. Not dinner, you idiot. I know you've had dinner before. What are you, retarded? Okay, now everyone is looking. You can't just say retarded in public like that. <laughs> uh, and it goes on, but that's pretty funny. In keeping with conversations um, between Lena and Tucker, I'm in trouble here, Lena said. You can at least be supportive. Supportive? I helped you hide the body. In some <laughs> countries, that implies commitment. Um, toward the beginning of the book, uh, there's two kids that are talking. It's Joshua, who um, is the one who sees Santa get killed, and eventually, and Joshua, isn't that like a super Jesus name? Right? Am I right about that? I believe it's a super Jewish name. But I thought, yeah, I think <clears throat> I think Livius is probably right on that. But I think I thought that Joshua was the name that they used for Jesus and Lamb, right? Well, wasn't Jesus Jewish, though? Well, right, but I'm saying Jesus as in Jesus. Anyway, goddammit, guys. You know what I'm saying. (laughs) Joshua, who witnessed uh, Santa getting killed, and, and of course, there's the 
the whole kind of tie in with like his name is what they call Jesus or something like that. I am not religious, but I'm fairly certain that's that. So he kind of represents the Christian side of things. And he's got a friend, Sam, who's Jewish. And this is kind of a quick, there, there's a longer conversation, but I'm just going to do a couple lines here. Wow, sucks to be you, says Josh. And they just learned about um, uh, getting circumcised, I think. And Sam said, we're the chosen. And Josh says, not for kickball. Wah, wah. I thought that was hilarious. It is hilarious. And again, I'm going to try to play off of that. At one point, Raziel is talking to... Oh, what did you just say that kid's name was? You think I've been paying attention? Sam. Sam. Right. Yeah. So there's a they they encounter one another in um, a convenience store, and uh, I'm gonna this is a little longer. The the blonde man looked at his candy bars, then at Sam. Thank you. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Merry Christmas. I'm Jewish. Remember, we don't celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Hanukkah, the miracle of the lights. Oh, that that wasn't a miracle. Sure, it was. No, I remember. Someone snuck in and put more oil in the lamp. But I will grant you a Christmas miracle tomorrow. I must go. <laughs> so, there you go. Sorry if I spoiled Hanukkah for our Jewish listeners. But apparently, <laughs> that actually Not wasn't. Not a real miracle, yeah. yeah. Love it. Um, this quote it sees Tucker having just been broken up with by Lena at one point in the book. Tucker Case hung his head. Roberto the fruit bat hung his head. Tucker Case looked at the fruit bat, who... In turn, looked at Lena as if to say, "Well, I hope you're happy. You broke his heart." Did um, did Tucker have the fruit bat in the other book that he was in? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, everyone carries over. Roberto didn't belong to Tucker in the previous book, but he kind of uh, he kind of got inherited him by the end of the book. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm just gonna do one more. Um, this is. This is from Lena's like point of view. This is an actual dialogue. Um, she's uh, she's fighting with with Tuck. She's basically breaking up with him. Unfortunately, Tuck had just run a load of dishes, and the steam from the vent in front was streaming through her thin skirt and making her feel inappropriately moist for righteous indignation. That's good stuff. Yeah, that's excellent stuff. Um, I actually have a couple more, but I'm going to try and make them quick. Um, <laughs> post breakup conversation cowboy up Lena you fucked him and kicked him to the curb it's not like he stole your design for a cold fusion reactor I thought that was pretty good that's a good one um, <laughs> at the party um, at one point <laughs> so Theo's got a friend named um, I think it's Gabe right yeah Theo's got a friend named Gabe who gets righteously drunk at the party and they're um, they have to carry him out, and uh, Tuck and Theo are going to be the ones that do it. Uh, Theo's, but Theo kind of doesn't like Tuck. They've kind of clashed throughout the book, so Theo's trying to do it on his own. And Tuck says, "You want some help getting him to the car?" And Theo says, "He's a very smart guy. He has a couple of PhDs." And Tuck says, "Okay, do you want some help getting the doctor to the car?" <laughs> Fucking good stuff. Yeah, lots of, and lots of that throughout the book. <laughs> one final, all right, I got, this is a good one to go out on. And this is like such good, solid Christopher Moore humor. Um, they're trying to find a plan to um, get away from the zombies. And one of the ideas is like, one guy's going to drive for help or something like that. So this is what's going on. Um, 
<laughs> I'm driving an old Tercel, Ben said. I don't think you want me trying to make a run for help in that. What we need is a Hummer, said Gabe. Yeah, or even a friendly hand job, said Tuck, but that's later. For now, we need four-wheel drive. <laughs> uh, I am going to... Um, <laughs> I am going to finish off with, with one quote, I guess. And oh, it's, you son uh, of a bitch. No, because it's a quote from a completely different book. But oh. This is to vindicate something that you said that I know we've edited out a little bit, maybe, but this is from Lamb, which... Um, I realize that this is time to wrap up the stupidest angel, but Lamb is easily in my top ten books of all time. Um, and this is the whole book was written from the point of Biff, who is um, Christ's childhood pal. If you have not read, read this book, you definitely need to stop whatever you're doing and read it. By the way, his name was Joshua. Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Yeshua, which is Joshua. Christ is not a last name. It's the Greek for Messiah, a Hebrew word meaning anointed. I have no idea what the H in Jesus H Christ stood for. It's one of the things I should have asked him. Me, I am Levi, who is called Biff. No middle initial. Joshua was my best friend. Boom. Rob, do you remember, you remember reading that book, right? Yeah, you told me to. You put me on Christopher Moore. No, but I'm saying you, you remember reading it, though, right? Like, you remember? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember getting all teary-eyed like a little bitch towards the end of that book? Of course. If I, I don't think I've ever had a book give me that emotional, like from one end of the spectrum, like sheer joy to like sorrow, like that book did. Yeah, that was it was a heavy book. Mm-hmm. But I get teary-eyed like a bitch way better than you, easier than you do. Yep. Motherfucking heart of stone, and it got to me. All right, so what we're going to do instead of doing a big, long, protracted, because Livius and I get a little bit long-winded when we do our, our wrap-ups, you know, and we kind of introduce some stuff we didn't talk about during the regular conversation. We're not going to do this this time. We're going to do kind of lightning round, maybe a very quick summation, and then some uh, some stars. So, uh, Jesse, do would you like the honor of starting us off? Sure, I'll go. First thing I've read by Christopher Moore, um, not... Not a super Christmassy kind of kind of guy with stories, but definitely a zombie kind of guy. And I did not at all see that twist coming, so I kind of feel a little ashamed, a little ashamed there. I should have been on the ball and noticed that coming, but I did not. And I I really enjoyed it. It took me a while to get into it, but I'm going four stars on this. Um, as as was stated earlier, I've read everything by Christopher Moore, and this is a reread for me. And um in the in the I've probably read easily two to three hundred books maybe since I read Stupidest Angel the first time. And I don't think that there's anything that stood out um as strongly to me as like a surprise kind of tw- twist in a plot like this has. So um it's always kind of I've held it in high regard for, for that big twist and um just a super entertaining book that brings back a cast of characters that I've loved from the other books. So this is easily a five star book for me. Yeah, I, I I'm with Rob. I've read everything but one Christopher Moore book, and that one I just couldn't get into. Um, this is anytime you pick anything up from Christopher Moore. I'll reiterate what I said. If you're picking up for story, mm, you know I don't want to say hit or miss. You know the stories are all good, but they're really not the reason you're there. You're there for the characters, and this one is uh, is five star well Ooh. does that mean we get to open gifts <laughs> we get to open gifts so all right for anybody who is not keeping up with the gift exchange we started this last year and we had a lot of fun with it um the four of us each sent 
yeah. a gift to the other three. Um, so everybody uh, should have three gifts. Everybody currently has two gifts as there was a little bit of a, I don't know, weird customs issue or something. I don't know. But Amanda's <laughs> not here anyway. So um, we're going to go without. So let's, um, how, how do we want to do this then? We just want to go one at a time and, and kind of do this real quickly or? Yeah, yeah you know like... who just hood, hoodwinked us? Yeah, Amanda, right? Because she got gifts and didn't have to do any She's work. She's got gifts, yeah. She, yeah. And she didn't, we didn't get her gifts. They're, they're, they're delivered late, quote unquote. So yeah, maybe this is just a little. And she didn't have to do the podcast. This is all a very elaborate scheme now that I think about it. <sighs> very tricksy. So. And she got to see Star Wars tonight. <laughs> um, here's here's how I think we should do this. I think that both of you should go ahead and open your gifts from me because they're they're um, they're actually the exact same thing. All right. Let's do it. All right. I've got the gift in front of me. Nice little card. Hi, Rob. Enjoy your gift from Livia Snedden. <laughs> if anybody anybody who has done their Christmas shopping on Amazon probably knows, because that is, there's no changes. It auto-populates that. Exactly like that. Jesse's got a little <laughs> customized apparently. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Hi, Jesse. Merry Bookness. Fun live. Oh, shit, dude. Are you serious? I, oh no shit. I cannot tell you how awesome this is. <laughs> okay, I oh shit, shit, <laughs> shit. Livius wins. Wow. Would one of you guys like to describe what Yeah, you I guess got we should. So it's Rob, a can you go for that. Um what's the name? Is it just pop? Is it a pop it's figure? Pop, pop vinyl, yeah. Pop vinyl figure of Hannibal Lecter. From the TV show Hannibal. In a blue plaid suit, holding a fucking kitchen knife. In case um, there's anybody who has never listened to this podcast before, both um, Rob and Jesse are huge fans of Hannibal, the um, the TV show. And uh, I didn't know this was actually a thing, um, but uh, it's a thing. It's a thing, and they exist. So uh, I'm, oh, I'm amazing. glad that um, I came across it, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Merry Christmas. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, do we want to move on and come back to gifts, or do you just want to just rock the whole gift exchange right now? No, I think we do the whole gifts right now. No? All right. Cool. You guys want to go? Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm going to open my gift from Jesse that Wait, has... Wait, did we get um, different stuff or the same thing? You guys got different things. Okay. You guys got both different got different things from me, too. So, all right. Um, so, I have in my hand this really interesting... It's a fox wearing a sweater gift wrap. Yep, me too. I don't think I've ever seen this. This is kind of interesting. It's got like a Christmas sweater, and the tail is actually part of the sweater too. Yeah, kind of weird. All right. Sweater tail. Okay. Get the fuck, up. <laughs> dude. Jesse, seriously? <laughs> yeah. So Rob, to set this up, I just got text messaging. Who the hell's text messaging me at eleven twenty at night? And it's Jesse telling me what he got you. <laughs> Dude, that's so hilarious. So if anybody's heard, ever heard of Pop Vinyl, um, I have now a Pop Vinyl figure of Wendigo, which is the weird antlered character from Hannibal. So now I have two Pop Vinyl figures from the Hannibal series. Can I tell you how happy I am that you didn't get me? <laughs> you the same one. So I'm still unwrapping because mine is very heavily packaged. Oh, let's see. My God, Jesse. Jesse was just trying to get rid of He had way too much of this wrapping tissue paper just sitting around his place. 
And he was like, I know what I'll do with it. This is very cool because I didn't know this was a thing either. So this is a horror series Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth pinhead action figure. Oh, man. This is smoking hot. I love it. It comes with a little box. Like is the it box really? Little tiny- yes. There's I didn't notice that. Little- Dude, it's easy to miss because it's it's so, you know, the, the, the figure is whatever, your standard, like, three-inch, I guess, action figure. The box is, like, to scale. So it's, you know, it's small enough to, like, fit in, in Pinhead's hands. Oh, nice. This huh. is very, very cool. Thank you, sir. Hey, you're welcome. All right, so Adult you guys... Adult collectible, not a toy. It's 17 and over. What the hell is <laughs> this? is weird. So you guys bought actual gifts, and I basically re-gifted shit to you? Oh, so, it's, it's my, okay. It's my, I took my, a different approach. Where's but, my uh, Apple bag? This is uh, the second year in a row I, I also got. did not rep shit, so. <laughs> 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 All right, so it takes it. Jesse's opening his box. So Jesse has been instructed to not talk about why he's laughing the way he is because it has to do with the packing material that Rob used. And I am going to go ahead and tell you that every every cackle you hear from Jesse is is well-deserved. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, shit. I don't even think I need the gift anymore. <laughs> Yeah, for you, it was more in the presentation than anything. It's part payback, too. <laughs> well, not payback, but, yeah. That's a very fitting wrapping. <laughs> Shit, I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's parts. There's multiple parts. There's three parts. It's for the phone, right? Yeah. Ah, uh, this is for video use, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now I get it. I'm so, a little slow right now. So what Jesse got, aside from some really funny rapping, was um, <laughs> it's basically a combination. Um, uh, like it's a it's like a tripod for that mounts that your phone can mount onto for recording video, but it's also a selfie stick. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah. So it's got a telescoping kind of pole, and it's got the Bluetooth remote for taking pictures. I don't need any 4K selfies. <laughs> you all, everyone needs 4K selfies. And I um, received, and this is actually um, very special to me, um, because I have um, not on purpose given away probably three copies of this. I never thought I'd see another one. A first edition copy of Kiss Me Judas, which is one of my favorite books, as I'm sure listeners know. And I think I've given away, like I said, loaned out and never gotten back at least three copies. So I don't actually have one of these currently. So Perfect. Thank you, Rob. This one's not getting loaned out. I'm done loaning out paper. Yeah, books. don't do that shit. People go, okay, I borrow a book. I go, you know what? I only read on the Kindle. So no, you can't. <sighs> Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Jesse, that wrapping? <laughs> That kind of takes. Listen, I will tell you that that Shit. takes takes the prize is the the wrapping that he used. So, like I said, we can't really talk about it on the podcast. But I want to throw it in a plexiglass box as an art installation. <laughs> say, you know what? That's actually kind of brilliant idea. <laughs> I've already got plans for it. Lovely. 
So at this point, can we just talk about what we got, Amanda? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, Amanda also got um, pop vinyl, but um, she got a Captain Spaulding from um, House of a Thousand Corpses. Like, Ooh, nice. Like clowned out Captain Spaulding. That's a so, perfect like, gift. That, that's what I said. I was trying to think of something cutesy or whatever, and I was like, you know, I'm sure they they have a House of a Thousand Corpses. They came across. That. I was like, maybe they have Hannibal. And and I really didn't think there was a TV show handle, and sure enough, there it was. I thought this is easy. Now that I found this, I don't even have to do any more thinking. Like done. That's excellent. So what? Amanda also has a vintage paperback copy of the novelization of the sequel to the Abominable. Dr. Fudge. Oh, wow. Holy shit. That's big wow. time. Yeah, that is kind of big time. <laughs> that makes my gift look bad. Um, what I got, Manda, was... Um, so she does a interview series on her website, and she calls it Curious, Curiouser and Curiouser. Um, so I found online... It's like a vinyl lettered wall decoration that says curiouser and curiouser. So she can put it up on one of her walls and say curiouser and curiouser because that's what she does. She interviews authors and stuff like that. I would like to say, by the way, I've seen this not in person, but on the internet and it is really fucking cool. (laughs) And we apparently got nothing. (laughs) We got, we got um, stiffed on, uh, on, on podcast appearance. Yeah. Thanks, Amanda. (laughs) <laughs> Merry Christmas yeah, I'm going to feel bad to fill my awkward silences in Amanda <laughs> I'm going to feel bad I hope everything's okay to be 100% honest Me too I hope it's just a miscommunication So what else we got Livius? Um, that's it um, We're going to talk a little bit about Christmas movies um, In that I have not seen it And I don't know I know Rob hasn't But Jesse Krampus did you see Krampus? I have not seen it yet. It is all the rage. A, uh, a new Christmas horror movie that apparently has now earned multiple Christmas horror movies for next year already because of its us. I know, I and it's remember. by the guy who did Trick or Treat. So I'm like extra shameful right now oh. having not seen it yet. Oh, had I have known that, I might have um, made a little more effort. I'm a, a huge fan of Trick or Treat. Um, and I did not know that, so I will add it to the list. But it's probably going to have to wait till video or whatever, some type of download, streaming, something or another for me to <laughs> see it at this point. <laughs> Little VOD action. Fucking all right. So when we decided, uh, so basically when we finished recording the Halloween episode, everybody was still on the call, and we're like, "All right, we're doing the Christmas thing, right?" And someone was like, "Krampus," and I was like, "Not a fucking chance," because I just I think it was like all in vibes shock and I didn't want to deal with bullshit <laughs> movies you were starting the war on Christmas I was the Krampus movie the yeah. war on Krampus <laughs> but I mean I remember the first time this happened was um, Silent Night Deadly Night Jesse you probably could throw out the year on that was that like maybe 88 or something is that Shit. movie where Santa was Claus really was killing late? people I, maybe it was earlier than that I mean I remember being a teenager I can probably pull this up using the... Silent Night, Deadly Night? I want to say like 83 on that. Let's see. Silent Night, Deadly Night. 1984. So yeah, I guess I was even younger than that. Holy shit. 
Which they remember, remade in 2000, well, probably two years ago they made It's Just Silent Night. Oh, I didn't see that. But I, I do remember, and I did see on video, because um, that movie was the first movie to get a NC-17 rating, if I remember correctly. Really? Yeah, I think it was that one. Hold on, let's see if uh, let's see if there's a Wikipedia entry on this that supports that. I thought the NC-17 rating was created by one of the movie studios that wanted to release an independent film in the early '90s, maybe late '80s. It wouldn't have been Sex Lies and Videotape. It was something else, but it was created for that. Oh, Henry and June. It was uh the yeah the rating was invented to release Henry and June that Johnny Depp movie where he where he... no the the one about Henry oh Miller that's and Benny and June Johnny sorry June. <laughs> <laughs> all right I was thinking of Benny and June if that were NC seventeen it might have been a better movie oh damn knocking Benny and June he makes he makes grilled cheese sandwiches with an iron anyway. All right. Apparently there wasn't. There was a lot of controversy around it, but yeah, I'm guessing you're right, Jesse. That did not have. I know. Okay, so the sequel was denied a video certificate after distributors refused to make the cuts required for an 18 certificate that's in the UK. Video nasties. So, um, but yeah, that was, uh, and that did turn into several movies in the years following, including Jack Frost. Oh shit. I remember that movie. I was telling Rob about Jack Frost earlier this evening and that excellent scene where they're slow, like, pacing towards him with, like, blow dryers and stuff to get him to melt. I thought you were going to talk about how a snowman can rape someone in a shower. Well, I mean, that, that too, I guess. Without melting. I mean, it, is it a cold shower? <laughs> Come on, how cold do you have to be? He's snow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Unless he's wearing, like, a jacket or something. Not a snowman. Probably not wearing jackets, right? Just a Jimmy hat? (laughs) Wow. All right. Just a Jimmy hat. Clearly, Rob is not on board with with the holiday horror. But, Jesse, what do you think about the future of of Christmas horror? Do you think this is genuinely a thing that can happen and be taken seriously? No way. I think you only get a few of these movies, you know, every once in a while. I mean, even... Even horror films set on Halloween are kind of few and far between, and Trick or Treat kind of cornered the market on that since Halloween, the original movie. Oh, what was that last one called that just came out that was terrible? It started off really, really good. And... At this past. That like anthology oh, the, one with the, the anthology movie? Uh, it was called Halloween something, right? Tales of Halloween. Tales of Halloween. Um, yes. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, well, I mean, there might good. be a first couple stories were great, but beyond that, it was terrible. What if there was a film adaptation of the Adam Millard classic, The Human Centipede? <laughs> I would watch it. Yeah, I, I would have to watch it too. You know, because when you think about it, I was thinking about this as we were reviewing the Stupidest Angel, because um, you had mentioned earlier on about um, the Human Centipede that. Adam Millard, I think I think that took a very similar tone, but on the much fouler end of, of Christopher Moore. Like, when you think about a lot of the humor and a lot of the dialogue was kind of similar, and yet all the weird, quirky characters. I just want to see Mrs. Claus on a stripper pole. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, I'm sure I could find a 
can send you something like that now if you wanted to see it. <laughs> oh, man. What are you going to Google Mrs. Claus on a stripper pole? <laughs> Naturally. Yeah, let's see what that gets us. <laughs> we got time. We're filling the time that Amanda would be talking. That's very true. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I typed in Mrs. Claus on a stripper pole, exactly like that. The first thing was Christmas stripper video clip from Tosh.0. Um, stripper pole sweater. What the hell's a stripper pole sweater? What? I don't even know what a that is. A sweater for a stripper pole? I have no idea. Let's find out. Oh, I'll it's be damned. Forty-seven ninety-nine, and it is a. There it is. Did you did you find the sweater? No, I'm looking at. There's a like a like a figurine of like a Christmas elf that's doing a stripper dance, but it's on a candy cane at the North Pole. Anyway, continue. Yeah, that's that. This is what I. That sweater is very similar. There's elves throwing money at a at a woman in a Santa hat that's dancing on the North Pole. <laughs> Love it, love it. So, um, so that that exists if you want to see it already. Excellent. Um, so we're all going to meet up and go to Star Wars after this, right? Oh, I'm already at Star Wars. Right. I have people keep telling me to shush. So, oh. yeah. What? <clears throat> when does it start? Twelve ten, right? Dude, I had people that were like seven p.m. They were watching Star Wars. I don't understand it, but um, what it gave day me... is it? What? Oh, it's Thursday. I was going to say, they don't even do midnight shows anymore, right? Like, now everything is, like, it's like a 6 p.m. the day before show. So, yeah. what's up with that? I don't know. All I know is it gave me an excuse to post a picture on Facebook from Arrested Development of um, of Lucille. And it says, here's some money, go see a Star War. Because she said that once to Anyang, and it was really funny. So, <laughs> go see a Star War. Well, okay, so clearly we know already what Rob's answer is going to be, uh, seeing Mrs. Claus on a stripper pole. But, um, guys, seriously, let's, let's, let's do this, right? We've still got a few days. There's still a good chance that Santa Claus could bring us whatever it is that we want, right? So let's go ahead and let's, let's, um, let's virtually sit on Santa Claus's lap and ask for something. Um, Jesse, what would you like for Christmas? I would like the whatever anniversary it is reissue of purple rain to finally be released since Prince and Warner brothers made up and signed a deal to, to make that release. Okay. So this be like a, like a Blu-ray release. Is it not already on? Oh, not, no, not the movie, but the, the album, the soundtrack. Oh, Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. Completely remastered and have, you know, extras, extra songs, deluxe packaging, all that. It's kind of been in the works for a while and promised that there will be a special release of that. Nice. Rob, what about you? Um, what would you like? <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a little bit of a hard time with this, but um, since this is like anything goes, right? Whatever I wish comes true kind of thing. Oh, shit. It's anything goes. Can I go back? No, never mind. What do you? <laughs> anything goes with you. What do you want? So my Christmas wish would be, um, I'll give you the, the, first I'll give you the less realistic and then I'll give you the more realistic one. Less realistic, my Christmas wish would be somehow Hannibal comes back for another season. Oh, damn. Yeah. 
more realistic goal just to hear that Scream Queen's got a second uh, second season. Because that nice. hasn't been 100% confirmed yet, right? I haven't heard anything about it actually at all. Yeah, so that would be my... That would be the the more realistic one, but realistically, if I could have anything I wanted, Hannibal Season 4. Would you rather have a Season 4 or a feature film? Season 4. Not even a question. Not even a question. I would do another season. What about you? I don't even know. I'm like, I think I might be leaning towards feature film just because I feel like that's the most likely to happen. So I'm already, you know, making concessions. Your bets. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm going to take that then. But then I started, like, going off from that and being like, oh, shit, maybe it's a trilogy of films, you know. <laughs> but then about... I guess the season's still more hours, isn't it? Right, that's the thing. It's quantity right there. How about if we just get Mads Mikkelsen and Hugh Dancy to join us on our next, uh, like, big friend vacation we go on? Well, that would be... That would be fucking awesome. All right. See, this is what the podcast is like when Livius is not around. We just talk about. Oh no, Livius is around. Much... This is waiting patient for this to stop. So... He's like, I watched uh... you guys watch Hannibal for like three days yep. in another city that I drove seven hours to. That's that's pretty accurate. Um, and I gave you Hannibal gifts. That's supposed to be me saying this is the end of Hannibal. Yep. All right, so I guess, Livius, what would your so Christmas keep, wish be? So two things. I'm going to go with Rob's thing. Two things. Um, I want Amanda Gowan to be okay so I can fucking be mad at her for missing this. And um, <laughs> I, I want, in keeping with things that probably aren't likely to happen, I want the Road to Hell movie to finally, finally be available for me to see somewhere, anywhere, legally, illegally, otherwise, I don't care. What is that? That's the sequel to something, right? Streets it, of Fire. Yes, it is the sequel to. It's the unofficial sequel to Streets of Fire. So, like, I'm on their page now, right? Because <laughs> I'm thinking maybe, maybe just thinking about it made it happen. And their official page says, "Buy advance tickets to Road to Hell screening in Las Vegas on March 3rd, 2015." This movie has been in the can and been screened for like two years, like very rarely, and is still not available le- legally or otherwise to view anywhere. Those people really don't know how to capitalize on their own investment, do they? My God, it's fucking brutal. And I think about it like once a week. Yeah, I'm like, God, I really wish that movie was available for me to see. It's- I'm like, yeah, I'm total film person, all for film. And you hold out all the hope in the world that you're going to get this thing out there and everywhere. And who knows what all the all the business dealings are with any given project and whatnot. But still, part of me, like reaches a reaches that conclusion at some point where it's like just release it yourself right i mean well, if nothing nothing else is happening what have you got to lose but setting up your website with its own store yeah i'll tell you now livius i thought of the perfect um if we had known about this like a couple weeks ahead of time or a month or something ahead of time that that um, you re- like, we're really need to kind of go to any means to get this. Everybody's out at Star Wars right now. We could have broken into someone's house and gotten that fucking movie, like because I'm sure they're out watching Star Wars. So tonight would have been the best night to just kind of burgle that shit. Really drop the ball on this one. 
Maybe that's what Amanda's out doing. She's stealing that movie for you? Well, she's stealing stuff. That would be a Christmas miracle. Yeah, maybe she's like breaking into the director's house and stealing the actual 35mm print. You got a projector at home? Well, of course. Doesn't doesn't everybody? Yeah, that's how he shows his creepy movies of murdering people to other people. You're going to like actually own the film. See, can you explain to me what 70mm is and why it's a big deal? 70mm, um, it's, it's a width of film stock. 35 millimeter refers to the width of the actual film material back before. I mean, well, it still exists particularly in still cameras, but yeah, like whenever we're talking about film and film stock, eight millimeter meant that the film that was running through the camera and capturing the image was eight millimeters wide, 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter was the standard motion picture format, but was also still camera width when we used to have you know buy those cartridges of film to wind through cameras and 70 millimeter i can't remember when it was invented but they invented 70 millimeter film stock so it was double width so it could capture more and this is also back in the days of cinemascope which cinemascope was basically a lot of it I don't know. I'm, I'm probably wrong on this. I'm just guessing or mash, mashing things together. But a lot of things were filmed. When things are filmed widescreen, generally the format ratio is 1.85 and whatnot. And that's that's standard widescreen. But then there's also um, Cinemascope, which is 235, or Panavision, which you'll hear a lot of times. And John Carpenter talks about that. When he did Halloween and all of his films, he filmed in Panavision, which was the 235 format ratio, which was extra wide. And that's basically that's that's basically CinemaScope, which the old film, the film streams and the theaters <clears throat> used to be curved a little bit. And a lot of films that were shot in the early days of the technology, they would use three projectors actually to show the film simultaneously have three different projectors projecting the image onto the screen because it was so wide. So basically your scope of vision when you're watching or filming is it's just bigger than what you can see on a standard format. So you're taking in more visually, which is, this is a really shoddy way of explaining it, but you can see more. But is that, does that mean that when I watch it on my laptop, it's going to only be like two inches high, but then like the whole width of my screen is that what you're saying? It just extends it out more, right? So it would be like extreme letterbox. Is that close to accurate? I feel like that's probably not right, but it's really hard to talk in terms of versus the, the theatrical experience <laughs> versus at home. I mean, when we watch things at home, it's already formatted to the to our TVs and our computer screens these days, you know? I got what you're saying. I, I see. I see. I've seen the anti-piracy campaigns. I see what it looks like on a computer monitor. You know, when you're in the theater, <laughs> that little thing they play before the movies. I've seen it. I get. Oh, it. is that the little uh, car stealing ad- yes. advertisement? Yep. That's such horseshit, by the way. Fuck those people. You wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't download a car. I would totally download a fucking car. Yeah, you fucking crazy. I would download anything. If you if you if it was possible to download a horse, I don't want a horse, but I would download it because that'd be awesome. <laughs> I would do that just if it were possible. Yeah, come on, guys. Get with your shit. 
<laughs> All right, so that was a little weird ru- rundown film history lane that we I don't I wasn't expecting. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> so from guess- Santa Claus, we basically want movies and music is what we're saying. Pretty uh, much. Yeah. And more pop vinyl. Yeah, now I need there's two different Will Grams. I've already looked this up. Well, it's on the back of the box. There's two different Will Grams and there's a Jack Crawford. I don't really care about the Jack Crawford, but I'm pretty excited about the two different Will Grams. So get on it, listeners. Hey, if we make it to like the three hundred dollar level, I'll get more pop vinyl figures. <laughs> Patreon.com slash booked. <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this year's Christmas Extravaganza Spectacular. Amanda Gowan, wherever you are, we hope that you're in perfect health so we can be mad at you for not being on this episode. Uh, Jesse, thanks again for joining us um, again for one of our for holiday episodes and, and bringing a lot of fun to the episode. Oh, thank you, guys. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Come back soon for more. Until next time, I'm Rebelson. And I'm Jesse Lawrence. Keep reading.